by the time we got to the point where it was time to go, I, uh, I was just frazzled hard. Anybody been there before? You're trying to do something, even, even in the kingdom, you're trying to do something for Jesus and it's just a burden and it's got you frazzled and it's got you stressed and it's got you anxious and, and you don't have peace and it's kind of ironic because you're trying to do this thing for the kingdom, you're trying to do it for the Lord and yet you feel like it's all caving in on you. And I had someone take me aside just before we walked out of the lobby after we came out of prayer and, and, and she said, Lucas, you need to just stop. And she said it with an anointing. Friends, we just need to stop. We just need to stop. Who, who believes Jesus is building his church? And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Friends, we need to just stop. We need to stop striving we need to stop producing. We, we, we need to stop putting on the show for our neighbors and for our friends, maybe even those sitting next to you here. We need to just stop and just be children of the king and be convinced that he's enough. Be convinced that he's enough. And that the work of Jesus in your life is enough. And to stop the striving and the busyness and the stuff. And just in his presence, just recalibrate. So Lord, as we enter into this time of looking into your word. This time of aligning our hearts to your will and to your ways. Would you Holy Spirit... Just quietly speak to us. Would you take us on a journey of faith today? Would you renew us? Would you refine us? Would you change us? In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Let's look to him today. I feel this tension in society. I don't know if anybody else can relate. I don't think there's been a time in the history of humanity where we as a society have valued diversity as much as we do today. And I think that's a great thing. I think we should value diversity. I think that God values diversity. How could he not when we look at his creation? Yet the tension exists in a society that values diversity unlike any other society before it. There's also another word I would use to describe our society, divided. Deeply divided. How is it that a, a society and a culture that values diversity can be so deeply divided? What's going on in this cultural moment in which we live? Jesus said this in Mark's account of the life of Christ, Mark 3, 24 to 25. He said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. 
And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. It would seem that division is the prequel to collapse. Division is the prequel to collapse, and it's only a matter of times. And friends, can I just flip the script for the church today? I think so often we, we speak in terms of woe is us as a body of believers. Woe is us. We look at society. We look at what's being celebrated, what's being valued, what's being held up. And we go, woe is us. Where is the space for the church in this culture? I want to flip the script today. I want to say, no church, begin to celebrate Because never has the church been so uniquely positioned to show the world what diversity and unity look like. What an opportunity. The system of this world. I'm going to talk about systems and culture. I'm going to talk about those two words interchangeably today. But what an opportunity to reveal to our world that there is a context and a system where diversity can be celebrated and it brings us together and doesn't divide us. The world hasn't figured this thing out. The system is the culture of the kingdom of heaven and the context is the church. And this is the key, and don't miss this as we move forward. The reason unity and the celebration of diversity can exist in the church is because our value systems have already been determined for us. This is key. Our value systems have already been determined for us. This is how diversity can be in unity. It's the only way that diversity can be in unity. We as human beings are not the developers of the values. When human beings get together to develop values, inevitably someone becomes marginalized and wounded. It's inevitable. That's what happens. When humanity creates values from within themselves and celebrates diversity, inevitably someone, some group, some tribe is going to be marginalized. But values that come from an external source, that are true across time, culture, and context, are values that can unite humanity. This is the last sermon in a series entitled, The Values That Shape Us. This is actually our conclusion. And it's a season where we have journeyed together through a discovery of the values of the kingdom of heaven for this time and for this season of This church, this church in particular, I'm not speaking for every other church. We're not speaking for the church down the road. We're speaking about the cultural values that we're going to hold up and affirm together in community at Evangel Church for the sake of the mission that we've been called to. If you're taking notes, this is our main thing statement for today. If you're taking notes, write this down. The values of the kingdom of heaven have been predetermined by the king. The values of the kingdom of heaven have been predetermined by the king. 
Let's pray. Holy Spirit, convince us of this today. That we would be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden in a culture that is so dark. That we could be a testament and a witness of diversity gathering in unity because we're walking in external value systems that you, creator God, have given us. We want to honor you with our lives. We want to honor you with this community. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Consider Jesus on the mount when he preaches probably one of his most profound sermons. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. And let's read this account together, starting verse 1. And let's ask the question, what is Jesus trying to accomplish here? Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What a beautiful promise. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you see others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. What is Jesus doing here? He's establishing the values of the kingdom. He's establishing the values of the kingdom. He's declaring what is true about the blessing and walking in the life of blessing. He's giving us his revelation of an external value system that at times makes no sense. If I was preaching that sermon, I don't think I would include, blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted. I don't know if I would have included that one. Yet Jesus is flipping the cultural norms on their head, and he's saying, the kingdom of heaven looks like this. These are the values that shape us. This is what serving me looks like. In fact, the values that he propagated during his ministry flew in the face of the religious as well as the pagan structures of the day. This is key. The values of the kingdom of heaven have been predetermined by the king. And they have to be. Otherwise, we all have our ideas of what should be valued in our culture. We're growing up in a culture that values hyper-individualism in an unprecedented way. And when you value hyper-individualism, you have very little margin for others. 
very little margin for others. This is in part what is creating this cultural moment of deep division in our Western society today. A division between the ideology of external truth and internal truth. And we've talked about this, friends. Israel had a moment like this in its history when, when they made a really, really bad trade. It's, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. It'll be on the screens as well. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4 then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. They come to Samuel and say, We want to be like everybody else. Our neighbors, they have kings. We want to have a king too. This account goes on to tell us that this really displeases Samuel because Samuel knows this is a recipe for disaster. Samuel knows that this is not God's perfect plan for his people. But he goes to God with this request, and here's God's response. He says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. In this moment, they're about to make a really bad trade. A really bad trade. He ends in verse 9 by saying, Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And so Samuel does. He warns the people that the king will take away their sons for war and their daughters for labor. That a king will be hungry for power just like every other king of the neighboring countries. And it would wreak havoc on the home and the family and the culture and society fundamentally at its core. And it would take away what? The distinction that Israel had of God being their king. Because the only distinctive Israel had from all other nations. It wasn't necessarily the law, though that was part of it. The distinction was the presence. The distinction was the presence. And in this moment, they trade the king of kings for a king of human flesh. Can I ask you, where have you traded the king for a king in your life? Where have you traded the king for a king in your life? Where have you accepted the ways of the world for the ways of God? Because this moment, it changed everything for the nation of Israel, Israel and not in a bad, in a good way. They made a horrible trade in this moment, a kingdom of heaven value system for a kingdom of man value system. And this, my friends, is the rhythm of humanity, but it's also the rhythm of our lives. Over time, if we aren't diligent, if we aren't intentional, we slowly begin to trade away areas of our lives and areas of our souls and areas of our family. We trade away the king for a king. And friends, usually 
a king becomes a tyrant in our lives. It's funny, when I was writing the sermon, I kind of read it over again, and, and I went, oh, Lucas, there's not a whole lot of, uh, those, you know, those little nice fluff stories, and, you know, those moments where I make you laugh, and you know what I'm talking about? So I was, I was kind of looking through, where can I fit something? Where can I fit something to kind of bring some levity? Friends. The time is too short for pretense and levity. We need, the, we need God to do a deep work in us. I need God to do a deep work in me. But this is the rhythm of humanity if we're not intentional. We trade the value of dependence for the value of independence. We trade the value of generosity for the value of greed and getting mine, the values of family for the value of career and acclamation. But here's the hope, because it's often this rhythm that leads us to the crisis point, to the desperate place, to those cultural moments where a few, Scripture calls them the remnant, we talked about it last night for those that gathered with us, who become dissatisfied. And where that few allow that dissatisfaction to, to brood and to grow into a holy discontent, what causes them to make sacrifices to know Jesus, to make sacrifices to be in his presence. Those who look around and can no longer reconcile, reconcile the values of God with the values of their community or their church or their families, those who God taps on the shoulder and calls into desperate places of prayer and knowing his presence, to places where they begin to sacrifice with the hunger that can only be satisfied by his presence and his ways. In that moment of realizing that the values of the kingdom of heaven have been predetermined by the king, and we come into alignment with them, no matter the cost, because we have come to discover that everything else has been leaving us wanting. Has been leaving us discontent. Has been leaving us broken. We begin to realize that we have traded the, the king for a tyrant that demands everything for us. So why do we take a season of the life of our church to engage the act of affirming the values that shape us? It, it was so much more than a series. I believe it was that tap on the shoulder from the God who loves us. Because we need to be reminded that we live our lives through the framework of a much different value system. The guardrails of our lives are not culturally imposed or even self-imposed. They have been externally imposed by the one who has created all things. The values of the kingdom of heaven have been predetermined by the king. Who's ever gone bowling? Come on. Okay. Now that's one question. The second, who's ever gone bowling with young kids? Okay, 
What is the only way with young kids to go bowling where you're not going to get tears? You put up the little bumpers, right? So you go to the attendant and you go, listen, can we have the bumpers up? And they put up the little bumpers and they're these little guardrails that come up so that your ball won't go into the gutter. You know what I'm talking about? So no matter what you do, no matter how you throw it, no matter how bad you are, you're going to hit something. The values that shape us are the guardrails that God has given us for this season of the church. We only have eight of them. You know, surely... You might say, you know, surely you have many more from Scripture. Of course we could. Of course we could. But Craig Rochelle, he says this, if you prioritize everything, you prioritize nothing. If you prioritize everything, you prioritize nothing. And so in discernment, in prayer, as we look at the mission set before us, we determine these are the values for this season of the church that are going to be the guardrails to make sure that everybody, as they operate within that value system, as they operate within that culture that we create together in community, that we're going to hit some targets. We're going to hit some targets, friends, of being missional, of being a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, of making impact in this region for the glory of God. These are the guardrails that bring us together in community. creating safe places for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love and look more and more like him each day. The values of the kingdom of heaven have been predetermined by the king. And can, can I be honest with you? Um, values shape culture, but that's only part of the story because culture is really shaped by two primary factors. Anybody know what they are? Crystal clear understanding of the values Number one. Number two, though, culture is also shaped by what we allow. Culture is shaped by the values, but the culture is also shaped by what we allow in community. I've seen the dark side of churches that don't have a crystal clear understanding of their values, which meant they would allow things that harm them as a community. They didn't have a filter to look through and a framework to look and see people playing outside, playing out of bounds, if you will. And because they didn't have a clear understanding of what it was that we were accomplishing as community, no one called them on it. Listen, friends, I want to be careful with this. I want to be careful with this. But sometimes churches look to their pastors to be the exclusive referees of culture. And though I take that job very seriously of being a shepherd and part of protecting the sheep Part of being a shepherd is protecting the sheep. 
Part of being a shepherd is fighting off wolves. And I will fight wolves. I have no problem fighting wolves. But friends, in this season, if we simply defer, if we simply defer to your pastoral team, it's not going to work. We have some values. And in love, as we affirm these values over this season of time, we are also taking on that responsibility of upholding the values. Because we're determined that the mission that we're called on is more important than the holy huddle we have in here. But we need to hold one another accountable to these values that we might be in alignment and moving in the same direction. That's what it means to be part of Christian community. Oh, but Lucas, you're not supposed to judge. Bull. We're not supposed to judge this world. Don't you dare go out and find someone far from Jesus and judge their life. Don't you dare. But friends, when it comes to growing and maturing in community, chasing Jesus and his presence and knowing him and being on mission, absolutely. We're called to hold one another up. And sometimes holding another up is loving them enough to quietly taking them aside, not not berating them, not being a jerk, not being bullhorn Billy, but in love, calling one another back to the value, back to the value. Culture is shaped by what we value and by what we allow. So we're gonna review these values together in community before God and before one another, and we're going to affirm them. So this is a bit of an overview. Truth. Biblical truth will change your life. Amen? Biblical truth will change your life. The reason this is the number one value is because biblical truth gives us the revelation of all the rest. Gives us the revelation of the life and the purpose and the mission of Jesus. It gives us a revelation of the values that we shape our lives around. It gives us a, a revelation of what it is to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And it's an external truth source inspired by the Holy Spirit who is there the day of creation. And if we believe that, our, that we're the created and he's the creator. We have to take that next step of believing that the creator knows best how the creation operates and works and lives. And he's given us his word for that. Biblical truth will change your life. Can I get an amen? Prayer. We begin with amen surrounding all we do in prayer. 
I've been telling everybody that I can. I say it over and over. If you've heard it, forgive me, but hear it again. Lately in this season of my life, I've been making it a practice. Every time I come before the Lord, every time I I sit down at a meal or we pray with the kids at bed or we do um, sit down in a meeting or a counseling session or whatever it is, here's my prayer. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence here right now. We acknowledge your presence here with us right now. Friends, he's with us right now. He's leading and he's guiding us in truth. He's doing a deep work in us if we will allow him. And at the end of the day, you know, the opening statement to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was, blessed are what? The poor in spirit. I'm destitute in spirit. That word poor actually means beggar. Beggar. Friends, I don't have what it takes and neither do you. And so what do we do? We begin with amen, surrounding all we do with prayer. We acknowledge the presence of God. We invite his empowerment into our lives and into the situation. And then we start walking it out. But we begin with amen, surrounding all we do with prayer. Can I get amen? Discipleship. Discipleship. The mission is disciples making disciples. The mission is disciples making disciples. The mission's not, let's get a hand up during a conversion moment. The mission is not, let's sit with somebody and get them to pray the prayer. And check the box. No, the mission is the hard work of coming alongside those who have given their lives to Jesus and walking that journey out with them every step of the way. And God doesn't call us all to disciple everyone, but he'll call you to disciple someone. He'll call you to disciple someone. He has placed people in your life that you are called to invest in and walk with And encourage them in their faith. And guess what, friends? He's placed someone in your life that's doing the same for you. We don't have to disciple everyone, but God's calling each of us to disciple someone. And when the church catches this, when the church of God catches this, that's going to light the fire in society. That's going to light the fire in culture. That's what's going to change things. The mission is disciples making disciples. Can I get an amen? Generosity. Generosity. Generosity makes room in our hearts for others. Generosity makes room in our hearts for others. Have you ever thought about that? Because what's our tendency? What's our tendency? To make a whole lot of room in our hearts for us. And when you begin to be generous towards others with your time, with your gifts, with your talents, with your finances, when you begin to be generous towards others, the deep work of the Spirit in your life starts leasing out that real estate of your heart for the sake of others. 
Sometimes we're praying the prayer, oh, Lord, break my heart for people. Try this out. Go out, find someone in need and meet that need and see, and see what happens in your heart. See what happens in your heart. Generosity makes room in our hearts for others. Can I get an amen? Family. Pastor Lisa spoke to this last week. Family, we stand with and build up the family. And as Lisa said, this was a hard one for us. We had, we had a different statement uh, altogether to this. And it's interesting because every other statement was, is, is invitational to some degree, except for the statement that we had. And it took an outside consultant that kind of looked at it and went, hmm, one of these things is not like the others. Because we're trying to make a bold statement about family and the biblical family and God's plan for family. Here's what brought us here. We stand with and build up the family. The reason we said we stand with is because we need to accept the family no matter how it comes to our community. We stand with the family, period. But then we also build up the family because we believe in a biblical definition of family. We believe in restoration and a restorative God. We believe in all of these things. And so it's both and, not either or. It's both and, not either or. Because we recognize that this society and the culture that we've created is destroying family. And there's so much brokenness. And there's so much hurt. And there's so much pain. And the church of God in this day is called to stand with the family no matter what. And then we're called to take the next step of building up the family. Can I get an amen? Community. I think we've said this once since the very first day we got here. And you're probably sick of it. You were made for community. Welcome home. You were made for community. Welcome home. The culture of hyper-individualism has taken us on a course that has led us to a place where people are so lonely and so isolated. And anxiety is at an all-time high. Loneliness is at an all-time high. The church needs to take a stand and show the world what it is to look and have community in a meaningful, vulnerable, transparent, growing together kind of way. You were made for community. You weren't made to live this life alone. You were not made for hyper-individualism. You were made not for independence. You were made for dependence. That's the value of the kingdom.
dependence, not independence. You are made for community. Welcome home. Can I get an amen? Powell River. Yes, Powell River is one of our values. Blessed to be a blessing to Powell River. Blessed to be a blessing to Powell River. We thank you, Lord, that we are blessed. That Jesus, you have made us blessed. Friends, everywhere you walk in Christ Jesus, you are a blessing. You are a walking, living, breathing blessing. And may God put the blessing in our mouth and may he put it in our hands to extend to this town and this region. Because God called you here, not just to make a life. God called you here, not just to raise a family. God called you here because he has a purpose and a plan for your life to make investment in his kingdom. Period. I guarantee you, you spend some time with Jesus You spend some time pursuing Jesus, and I guarantee you, he will call an audible on your life, and he will take you into your workplace, and into your neighborhood, and into your family, and you'll begin to get on your knees and pray for people, and pray the blessing in your neighborhoods, and begin to bring the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You engage that process, I guarantee you, that's where Jesus will bring you. Blessed to be a blessing to Powell River. Can I get an amen? Finally, missions. Missions. Jesus said go and people matter. Jesus said go and people matter. Over the last 30 years or so, we have seen a switch where we've lost our identity as a church. We've lost our identity because when we think of church, we think of this. We think of a building with a cross in it where we gather to sing some songs and to hear from a preacher and have some coffee and head home. We've lost our identity. We've lost our identity, friends. I believe that God wants to remind us that what we do here is about going. It's about going and being the church. It's about going and being the church because people matter. Because God, God loves people that are lost. Jesus said go and people matter. Can I get an amen? So these are the values that shape us. This is what it takes to create safe places for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. And ask the worship team to come. Do you feel clear? Do you feel clear on what we're about? Are you clear on what we're about? So Lord, we want to walk in your ways. But we recognize that
all of this is just is just empty unless your presence is in it. And so Lord, as we wind up this series, and more than a series, as we wind up this alignment of our hearts together in one purpose, in one value system, in one mission, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you take us on this journey? And would it be marked by your presence, Lord? Would it be marked by your presence? Because I believe, Lord, in this day and in this time and in this culture, you're preparing your church for a renewal and a revival of fire, yes, but matched with form. Not just experience at altars for the sake of experience at altars and gifts for the sake of gifts, but experiences that lead us to mission. Fire that leads us and empowers us to be witnesses of the revelation of Jesus. So in this day, in this hour, in this cultural moment, would you stir up your church? Would you send us out of here? In Jesus' name, amen.